one of the all-time favorite shows. Hello and welcome to episode 90 of Because You Were Home. Sorry, I like every um, number ending in a zero. I feel like we're getting so much closer to 100. It's crazy. We've had a couple of weeks there where we've had holidays, we've had sickness, we've had life. So we're back. We are back. And so I, I suppose actually kind of similar to this, right? I don't get the fear of coming back to the podcast at all. But do you get the Monday, the Sunday night fear of going back to work? I have Sunday fear, I'd say, on a weekly basis. And actually, Chris had texted me yesterday because my husband, uh, we were in Amsterdam. I got a head cold, which I'm still got the tail end of. So if I cough, I apologize, people. Uh, But Chris got COVID. God bless him. Mm -hmm. And he is still, he's almost, he's finished his isolation, but he's still kind of just being on the safe side. But he texted me last night, and this was Saturday night. And he was like, I have already fear for Monday for going back to work. And I'm like, but you work from home. <laughs> the fear so like, is still there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he's had a whole week off. So I suppose you have the fear of what, what am I coming back to? Um, but yeah, I remember just what our topic that we're going to be talking about. When I was just starting out in new jobs, I'd have instead of a, a nightmare of starting my job or coming back into work after my job after I leave, I'd have it would be I'd be in school. I'd be in my working age, but I'd have to go back to school to finish off something before I could do my job. Like I couldn't, and I used to even have it in college. It was, I couldn't finish college before I went back and did some subjects for my leaving cert again. Yeah. And well, I'd that, be like was in, where, yeah. that was where my question was going to go. So you stole my segue, Emer. Thank you. Um, but... That was sad. <laughs> so my question after that was going to be, did you ever get the fear of going back to school? <laughs> Like at least two weeks in the summer before it would come up to September, I'd have nightmares. Yeah. Like it used to be a nightmare of I wouldn't have my full uniform and I'd just be in my own, like half the uniform, half underwear. Like I wouldn't have thrown on pajama bottoms. No. And no, that happened to me once. Very, very strict on school uniforms. So I can kind yeah. of understand that fear of the uniform. People used to be given detention. A teacher would see them out like on a midday week on the town, say in jeans and your school jumper and all that. And they'd rat them out the next day. The principal would, it would call them back and give them detention because the teacher fucking snitched. Yep. They, I got in trouble for the length of my skirt. I joined Emer's. We went to primary school together. We were apart. <laughs> then I went to a different secondary school for the first three years and then came back to your school. You were in the better school, really, Grace. I, I truly was. <laughs> I won't lie. I feel so sorry for you for joining our like <laughs> lowest of the low ranking schools. Um, and then we, and the, the mad thing was the perception of the school I came from was like, Everyone was like, that's such a shit school. And then I came to like the prestigious school in the town. And it was just mad how different it was. And like how nice, both of them were grand, like, but how nice the other one that I left. The school I went to for five of the worst years of my life, eh, they were all right, but they could have been better, was that it was looks, oh, it was style over substance. The the kids could have been dumbasses. You push the smart kids to the front too. I like to think we're few and fucking far between. We push them to the front and it's who wears the, you know, who looks the best. Yeah. And then it's like hide the rest or whatever, mm-hmm. because 
I feel like if the teachers didn't give a shit, we, I know for a fact, we got a teacher who was rejected from the nearby boys' school or he was made to leave or whatever because of his anger issues. His name was Eric. They called him Stressed Eric because these lads used to see how much they could get him riled up because then you'd see a vein popping out of either his forehead or his neck. And, uh, and he became a teacher in our school. Fun, fun. And I was like, what the fuck is this teacher doing here after like either leaving or being made to leave? And we gone. That is the Irish rule. If somebody does something somewhere, we just ship them over. It's fine. Uh-huh. It's mm-hmm. fine. Yeah. yeah. But that's why and I, I was just like, wow, you know, and I swear for my fifth year in secondary school, I didn't have a German teacher. I had a German woman who obviously was fluent in German, but she didn't know how to teach it. Yeah. Could you imagine trying to teach English to someone like grammatically and all that? I'd be like, um, I don't know. Can Why can't you just speak like this? And that she was getting mad at us going, why don't you get it? Like, yeah. once we're all crying in our respective corners in the class. I'm like, <laughs> it was a jungle. And then college is a whole different experience. Than- Christ. Yeah, because you're alone in college. No one gives a shit. Go to school, go to your classes. Don't go to your classes. No one cares. At least in UCD, they didn't because they never did like, Chris went to Dundalk and they did like a kind of like a roll call. You have oh, I to. went to Dundalk and you, no one gave a shit there either. Oh, oh, he told me he would, because he used to come to some of my classes because in UCD, you'd have like, in first year, you'd have like 300 people in your major classes. And so Chris used to sit in. He's like, can I sit in? I'm like, of course, no one's going to know if you're there or not. Yeah, and, there were uh, smaller and classes in DKIT, but... That's why I said, can I sit in one of yours? He goes, fuck no, there's only 20 of us. Yeah, you definitely notice. Yeah, yeah, I remember the first time missing some classes and nobody asked me why I wasn't there. And I was like, sorry, what? I, <gasps> I didn't do this. Very long. I think I did my Christmas exams. And then I was like to my mom, if I get a full-time job, can I... I asked her, could I drop out? And she was like, you can do it if you get a full-time job. And I think within a week I had two. And I was like, call Joe Bluff. <laughs> don't play grace and when she was like okay you can do the jobs but you then need to go back to college and do something else so I think in all I did 10 years and um have successfully used none of my no I like to say I have an arts degree instead of an arts degree because the best thing with that piece of paper could be to probably wipe my ass with it no um, I think you do use it you use it a lot here <laughs> I know, but I knew, but fucking 12 years later, or no, 2020 finished in 2009. Uh, yeah, 11 years after I finished my degree, I finally started to do it. But hey, look, better late than never, people. Absolutely. Definitely do a lot of research. And yeah, I think I, yeah, I think this is a great way of doing it. It's just, um, I am, we can't pay you for it. Apologies. Tell you what, Grace, isn't this what they say to interns? You get paid an experience. This exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll take that. I'll take that, of course. <laughs> <laughs> so this week we are looking at back to school. Um, here the primary and secondary schools are back. The majority of college is back, I think. Mm-hmm. Although the offers only really went out in the last two weeks. So it actually used to be like the end of September because mm. I used to laugh. You'd come in and maybe like the se- second or third week of September, you'd come in and then you'd have like a, mo- a week off in October. So you'd be back for like five or six weeks and you're off for a week. 
and that's meant to be like reading week well for us because there was my Jesus Christ I didn't realize what I picked was basically more books than I had in secondary school and more essays than I ever thought ever I'd have to be doing so I was like wow Emer, you really fucking shot yourself in the ass for this subject my degree um, I think we did an essay a an essay a semester I'd say mm. so two semesters yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh yeah because they they what I think that they really tried to in UCD it was like three semesters you had like I feel like as if they'd make you do so a September to December January to March March to June or May or whatever like and I, I feel like as if they broke it up into three semesters I'm like ah oh, come on now yeah. yeah so that just meant that you had at least maybe two or three but they were like yeah and I'd have six oh, subjects I, when I was in first year like I'd say you had way more than me like we just I had one class where I had to write that's it um, I had an exam the rest was all all practical yeah and then I remember like I just I lack a finesse in like putting something together I'm very practical with how I would write my essays like this and this and this and yeah but like it's something that has improved in me over the years but it's I'll never forget like how I did my essays in college and I remember they were all like I probably could have done and taken some English classes and learning how to write things better and forming better arguments oh there has to be a class on how to fucking write an essay like it's ridiculous I'd work on something like over a week's period or maybe even like t- I remember I used to work in Topshop in the um storage area for all the shoes in the stockroom for the shoes I used to be writing my essays I'd be like I'm going back to for a pair of shoes and I'd like write another little bit or because it would be like due Friday and I'd have to type it Wednesday night and then Chris was a better typer than I was to begin with so he used to type my essays for me because I'd handwrite them all out my god um, yeah because I, I always I to this day I love a pen and paper I love a bit of pen and paper. Um, even for this podcast, I'm now only getting on to like typing stuff up on Google Docs, but I'll still like, I have, I have so many notebooks with like notes on episodes. And this will just kind of reflect and give you an idea of what students we were. Even for this, I'm like, <laughs> I have IMDb open and I remember bits of the movie. Chris, <laughs> that is me right. now. No, I'm saying how I started with the podcast. Now it's Emer two years later. I've got some Google Doc things thrown together and I'm like, I'll be fine. <laughs> Which is how I'm like, and himself, and you're one, and that one from down the road. Yeah. That's how I started and continued. So I feel I've really just brought you over to the dark side. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think when I realized, I was like, huh, I, but like on my phone, I have, I think, because we were like throwing an idea of if I were to do like written articles on it. So I was like, I have my notes and now I try to make sure that like, I think if I find a topic where it's research heavy and I don't mean to put down this episode, but like for coming back to school, it's not something you can, I'm sure you could psychologically go into why are people so afraid of it? And it's obviously down to a fear of failure and you're out in the unknown and all that sort of stuff. Um, And it's just mainly anxiety based. But uh, it's it's not something that I could throw it. Maybe I could. Jesus Christ. I'm, I'm realizing my potential here now that I could have done. Moving on, Grace, what else do you have to say? <laughs> For me, I don't have I don't have nightmares of secondary school or um, the leaving search. I suppose it's very rare for me. I would often have nightmares that I have to represent my end of year show. 
um, mm. in college, which is just horrific. I had an amazing time in college with friends and stuff like that. But I had like a personal, like personally a terrible time with like was very depressed, missed a lot of college. Don't think my tutors really copped on to what was going on. Um, even though I like, you know, applied for exemptions because of depression, I was like, read a fucking like file on me. Like, yeah. See what's going like- on here, people. <laughs> And it's, it's crazy because that was only less than 10 years ago. Like mm. nowadays, there'd be so much more exemptions and they would have to stop and think about it and give you that time that you need. I had a friend of mine who was going through something similar in college. Now, I have to say, I and I'll put my hand up. I didn't see the signs because we weren't seeing each other too much outside of college. And I just thought she was out sick or whatever. And then, you know, there were things where she was taken a couple of weeks off and then she came back and she told me much later it was just mental health issues and I was like holy god um but I don't even know if she got exempted I don't I can't remember but that was back in like 2005 um and I was just like now I do feel like as if but I feel like if there'd be better channels for help hopefully Oh, Jesus Christ, hopefully, because a terrible statistic, and I really don't mean to bring the the down, but there's something that always stuck in my head. A cousin of mine living in Mayo, he's now actually living in Canada. He was telling me that like, oh, what was it? People who study architecture Mm -hmm. have the highest suicide rates. um, Yeah. Of all. And what was it? Oh, yeah, this is where I was mixing the two. But UCD has the highest rates of dropouts in first year students than any other college in all of Ireland and and my cousin she dropped out the first year she had she another cousin was in UCD and she did it twice and then for one reason or another it just wasn't for her so she repeated first year failed it again but ended up going to a different college and and absolutely excelling in that yeah and because UCD is hard it's not it's a half hour away from city centre and it's huge it's just this pressing grey stone block building that like they had this gorgeous little small part of the college. And then in the 1950s and 60s, they expanded the college and they just made it all out of cement. And it's horrific looking, especially when it rains. Um, and it's just so it's hard to make friends. It's full of like the D4, which we would call like the posh pretentious side of Dublin. Mm-hmm. Where people talk like as if they got marbles on their mouth. Like, oh, Cynthia, mm-hmm. oh, you're here. Oh. And they were all fucking wearing Ugg boots and leggings and a big gray jumper and, and then you, if you're part of that world but if you're not it's just gosh. a different world no more yeah. than if they were in a college where it wasn't predominantly people like them yeah and I found it was like really unfriendly because you try to get to know people who sit beside you and some of them were like I would get to chat with and you know them for like a couple of weeks because they're the people who sit beside you for every class um, and then there'd be some people like hi and they literally some guys like and turned in the other direction in a seat yeah. beside me. And I was just like, oh, okay. Um, I just remember having a really hard time. Like I knew one other girl who went there from my college, um, but she dropped out in the first year. Holy shit, I'm seeing a pattern. <clears throat> so it was like really hard to talk to people. It was very isolating. And it was the first time I was like getting up early to go on a train to get there. I didn't move up there. Um, and so I was commuting every day and it was like two hours up and two hours back. It was murder on me. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I can see how it's a harsh time. But look, like that. We're out of it. And now yeah. we're looking at horror movies that are school related. So yeah. Which this is where the fear is brought onto the small screen. Yeah. Where, uh, what's the first movie that you looked at? So I pulled a race for this one and it's kind of skirting around school. It ends, the last scenes are in school dance. But I realized as I was watching it going, oh, wow, he's in school, but he doesn't go to school. And none of this is based around him being actually in school. Beautiful. <laughs> it is Idle Hands with Devin Sawa. So have I saying his name right? No, no. Uh, the guy from yeah Devin Sarah from um, Final Destination yeah this movie was made in 1999 it's got Seth Green in it uh, Jessica Alba in an early role uh-huh. and it's even got the offspring by the end and I remember I loved this film as a teenager I'd say I watched it a handful of times um, <laughs> hey I didn't realize that <laughs> but like I there's I realized this over time, but it's when I look back to the films I really enjoyed as a teenager, I'm like, I was just the epitome of a fucking teenage boy. Like, oh, all my, just pure angst. Yeah, all my interests were like things that teenage boys would have liked. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. But anyway, this film is great. If you haven't watched it, I, I highly suggest you go watch it. And then after you've watched it, go onto YouTube. It has for like the final 10 minutes of it, it has an alternative ending. Oh, they both kind of go the same way. But the way that it goes is different in both. And there's no way where I can go through this film without, if people would like to watch it and haven't watched it, I can try and skirt around how it ends. But I may inadvertently spoil it. So apologies, skip by the next 15 minutes or whatever if you want to watch it because I just, I couldn't recommend it enough. But basically the, the whole up and down of it is that Devin Sauer's character, Anton, um, he's a complete stoner. Like he doesn't like going to school. He just gets stoned all the time. And um, he lives with his parents because obviously he's like, I think he's in his final year of um, high school. So I put him on baby 17 or 18 at most. His two friends, um who one of them is Seth Green so we have I want to say Pinub P-N-U-B and Mick Mick is Seth Green and I just I love Seth Green's character in this because as a friend you might rip the piss but he was also like really helpful and empathetic mm-hmm. and I was like it was one where I was watching this and I was just thinking going because I really love young Seth I just like Seth Green and anything but I liked his character in this a lot um, but anyway, so he has his two friends. He's even mooching like weed off of them. He's just doing absolutely nothing with his life. All he wants to do is get stoned and watch cartoons. And that's it. That is his life. And if he could live like that for the rest of his life, he'd be really happy. But yeah. the film opens up with like his parents are in bed and they hear noises. And so the mom forces the dad to go downstairs. And then uh, you hear a lot of like noises of a struggle and then nothing. So the mom's like, oh shit. Maybe I should go downstairs. And then she goes down, she slips on a pile of blood and then she freaks out and then she dies. So the parents are dead. Then um, Anton ha- lives in like the attic, which has been converted to his bedroom. So he gets up, goes downstairs. Uh, you expect him to like see something, nothing. He gets on with his morning, uh, getting stoned, watching cartoons. Oh no, he's about to go get stoned. He realizes he has no weed. So he goes over to his friend's house. But as he's crossing the road, 
he sees like his neighbor, the girl of his dreams, which is Molly, who is played by Jessica Alba. And um, she drops a notebook on her way over to her house. And it's like she's a songwriter. And so he's like, I'm going to drop it over to her. And I love her so much. And the lads are like, fucking tell her. He's like, I can't tell her. She'd want nothing to do with me. Um, And then he also comes across a guy. I'm sure the name will come up at some stage. Um, what's on reading IMDb but it's a guy and he works on this car and he's I've seen him in a, oh he was in Event Horizon yeah so many a few other things he was like tattooed I think I had a crush on him when I watched this he's a great character in it mm-hmm. um, he's like the guy who he ends up going to for advice on like demonic things because he listens to heavy metal um, and he's got like one of these like uh, monster truck cars you know like the really big ones where you need like a stepladder just to get up it Um. But anyway, so yeah, he's with his friend. He goes up to Molly's house to hand her the thing. And then of course he can't even talk to her. He's too nervous. He goes back into the house and he's like calling for his mom and dad. No one's around. Cause he's like, we're out of food. We're out of dog food. We're out of this, that and the other. And no one's answering it. And he doesn't even do like a cursory glance around the house to try and find them. This is just how like lazy he is. Yes. Um, and then his friends, just his friends are about to come over. Uh, I think it's like in the run. Oh yeah, because they're saying, oh, they're the friends are asking Anton he should invite Molly to the the school dance for Halloween. He's like, what dance? He's like, if you've been to school at all, you'd notice this. Because I was really beginning to worry that this was just a stoner movie and not a school movie until they at least said the school dance. I was like, oh thank God, yeah, <laughs> they're still in school. This is still a schoolish movie. Um, so basically, Anton. Oh yeah, also in the news, there's like, there's murders happening around the town. Um, and then Anton discovers that there was this male and female statue with uh, pumpkin jack-o'-lanterns on their heads, but it's his parents. And then he sees blood everywhere. He sees the knife and he's like, oh my God, the killer is in my house. So he rings his friends. I think it was his friends instead of the cops. And he's like, oh my God, the killer killed my parents the killer who's been around town and I don't know if he's still here and all this sort of stuff. So his friends come over and he also, I think, notices his hand is going crazy, like of its own volition moving around and all this sort of stuff. And uh, he ends up killing his two friends in a gruesome manner. He like throws a bottle into Seth Green's head and with his other friend, he throws a, a, a saw um, from downstairs in the basement you know one of those like a uh, circular saw it's the actual saw he like throws like a frisbee and it decapitates his friend um so he freaks out he buries his parents he buries his friends and then his friends actually come back out from the grave and so he freaks out but they're like oh we're dead but we're not dead maybe we're here to help you or something like that and he realizes he's trying to like tie up his hand it's his hand that's killing. So we have also another character, this one played brilliantly by Vivesha A. Fox, and she was also in Kill Bill. Um, and so she plays like this witch who like her lineage uh, is basically trying to catch this demon who finds like people at their lowest ebb and possesses them, but only possesses the hand and looks for the most like feckless person ever. And there's nothing else going on with their life so that that person ends up going like going to prison or whatever. And then when they are executed or killed or whatever, it leaves that body and finds the next feckless idiot to go to. So she discovers all these. She's like got a map. She finds where the latest murders have been in this place. And like 
on the map, it's a pentagram. When she puts like all the red thread together, it's like, holy shit. So she goes to um goes to the town and then she, I don't know how it comes across, but she comes across Anton. Um, or Anton has realized it's something to do with his hand. He goes to his friend who has the truck and he's like, I need you to help me about stuff to do with Satan. And the guy's like, no, I couldn't give a shit. I'm not going to help you. You're acting really weird. Um, and then he's like, oh, it's my hands. He goes, they're making me do things I don't want to. And he's like, oh, I understand, you know, idle hands are the devil's playground. Roll credits. Um, and he's there saying that, uh, yeah, I used to do things with my hands that I didn't like either. So that's why I got the car. Keeps my hands busy, if you know what I mean. And he's like, I don't. But yes, he gets uh, into knitting. So his friends who are like, zombies I want to say undead there we go they're in the house two cops who had like tried to bust him for marijuana earlier on are like two people who were seniors when he was like a junior and like they're weird cops are kind of nerdy and they were like their whole issue is why didn't you invite us to the bleachers to smoke pot and they're like you guys were nerds or weirdos and now you're cops and you're trying to use your power against us but the cops come in and they're like oh my god those people are dead Anton's in the house he's the killer so they try to like arrest him to become hero cops. And Anton is like with the knitting needles, won't put them down. He's like, cuff me, cuff me. And then they're freaking out. And he ends up like, I think, uh, yeah, like stabbing someone through the, from ear to ear with a knitting needle. And then the other guy, I can't remember what, he kills both the cops. And then he's like, it's the fucking hand. And he's like, he says to the two lads, he's like, I'm going to get rid of it. I think it's the day of Halloween. He's managed to like, get up the courage to invite molly but like there's those weird things where they're like making out on the because they go straight to like making out as a couple like she's only just finally speaking to him um and uh the hand is like trying to kill her so he's trying to like tie up his hand and he's like oh you're into kinky stuff because <laughs> it's just him trying to tie the hand up and uh eventually he's just like when he goes back to, into his house, like later on after he's invited Molly, like they're going to go together as a couple. And um, he's like, I have to get rid of this hand. And so he eventually like cuts it off with an electric knife thing. And uh, the friends are like, because Seth Green is straight away, he goes, I'm going to go over to my house. I'm going to get a first aid kit and you'll be fine. And as they leave, the hand tries to attack him, kind of like an evil dead too. And so he throws the hand in the microwave and it gets all like bubbly and explodes. And he's all like, ha take that dickhead hand. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, but the guys also buy burritos. But what was it? Yeah, I think he's on it. Yeah, Molly tries to come to him and then he's like, I'll meet you outside. Um, and then as he's talking to Molly, the hand escapes out. Of, no, the hand's still in the microwave, but the two lads come over and they're like, they've made microwave burritos. So they open up the microwave to put in the burrito and the hand's gone. So basically the hand is on its way to the school. Like it just immediately knows that that's where all the people are going to be. And uh, so Devin Sarah is like, fuck. Anton's like, I'm going to have to go. He he's like tells Molly I'll meet you there, but you you know stay safe, stay in the crowd, whatever. And uh, so he goes off with his two friends to, and then they're like, everyone loves the two lads' costumes, like air quotes costumes. And then they're like, funny, we might be able to get some girls. But um, Seth Green's character's like, uh, no, we're meant to like look out for this hand, and the guy's like, yeah, but we can do it whilst we're in the crowd dancing with girls. Um, so in the end, it's the offspring are playing. 
and um, Anton jumps the stage and he's like, there's a hand here and it's going to try and kill everybody. I had to cut it off myself. And they're all like, the fuck? And the lead singer of the offspring is like, shut the fuck up, pushes him out of the way. But then the hand like jumps down from the rafters, like peels his scalp off. Yeah. So that's the offspring dead. Uh, so basically everyone freaks out, but what the hand had done was had locked all the exits. So they all could only go out like one way or whatever. And uh, at this stage, Vivesha A. Fox, the witch, she became, she managed to meet up with the guy who had the big car. And I'm great with names here, people. And so he was like, I know exactly. She was talking about something to do with the devil. And he's like, that sounds real familiar to my neighbor. He's a friend of mine. And he was talking about his hand. She said, show me this guy. And uh, so as soon as, while they're in the school trying to find the hand, like it kills the principal and then it kills one of Molly's friends whilst they're trying to escape in a gruesome way, which I will just let people watch because Jesus, it's even hard to describe how it happens. Full attention, great scene. But um, the witch, when she catches up to Anton, she tries to kill him and he's like, I've already cut off the hand. And she's like, you fucking moron. Why couldn't you just let me kill you? And then the spirit can't jump into anyone else's body. And then explains that it's going to try and take a soul into hell. And so the hand has fixated on Molly. So when her friend dies. They not just kill the hand. Yeah, they have a dagger. And so they're like, right, well, we can maybe try and throw it at the hand. But it was obviously easier to try and kill the person it's attached to because it's a bigger thing than just trying to stab a hand. So, um, they're looking for the hand and then realize she, they hear Molly scream. And so they go up and it's then like, you know, the way like they have in America, all these shop classes where you might work on a car or build something. Yes. <laughs> they, um, oh, so Molly's on the top of a car that's been that's about to get wenched, like wrenched up, I don't know, thrown up into the air slowly by that, you know, the machine. I'm like, I'm throwing my arm around like a chicken wing. The machine that you would mechanized to bring a car up there I'm wasting time anyway there's a pentagram up on the ceiling it's going to be the eye to hell and he's going to bring Molly with them as taking the soul and so they're like we have to stop him and so they're trying to like get the hand the hand is just too fucking fast for them and then they find a bong in a shot glass and then they're like let's get stoned and then the guys are like oh yeah totally and then uh, Anton's like actually I have a great idea I'm going to go do it now. But the hand has possessed temporarily like a puppet or it's inside a puppet, which has like this angry looking, it, this face and it changes from like a normal puppet to an angry looking puppet, which is very funny. And then Anton decides to like inhale a load of weed, which pisses Molly off. She's like, I'm dying here and you're going to take time to get stoned. But he blows it up into the puppet. The puppet then looks really stoned. The hand slides out and um, they manage to, in the end, to stab the hand and then release the spirit and Molly saved and all that I won't go into how it ends okay because there's just one last thing about it um but like that it's this it's at this part here um where there, and there's a different way that the guy that the hand is trying to bring Molly into hell and um, so there's two different endings for that but it all kind of ties up to the end, but it's, it's very good. I got it on YouTube. So watch that. You'll have the way that they had it on the film and then the way that it was the alternative way, which I always find is really interesting when they like go so far as to film two endings, but then, you know, like in Clue, 
where for who was the killer was in in like when they released it out onto the cinema um, in theaters different counties in america i had, thought that was really cool i thought it was amazing but apparently like that just flopped because when people would be talking to each other about it they're like no this person's a killer no that person's a killer and so now if you watch it on like dvd or whatever they'll give you all they put all the endings together which i think is also great and i thought that that's how it went but i didn't realize at the time for its cinematic release is just different endings around but anyway i find alternate endings very interesting and actually the next one i'm about to discuss has an alternate ending as well also they have a load of alternate stuff because again my film my next film is just riddled riddled with production just like fucking throwing their oar in and changing basically everything about the film nice. that'll be another story yeah so idle hands just clinging on to hey, um the subject of being in school it ends in school but basically i don't know if the moral of that is huh don't be a school movie yeah so the moral of that film i would reckon i take away is don't always be a stoner so much that you can't attend school because if you aren't the type of vessel that an evil spirit would want to take over because yeah 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 what was your film so we were talking about this and I was kind of like oh I was going to do Halloween H2O then I realized we had done that for looking at Halloween for um for Halloween <laughs> and I was like maybe I'll do Scream 2 and then I was like no we kind of did the rundown of Screams when we did the whole Scream thing then I was like oh my god what about Carrie and then I was like no did Carrie um so the first one I looked at is so they were just all great options to do. <laughs> yeah then another one I was looking at was The Roommate which has Leighton Meester in it from um Gossip Girl I am obsessed with her I love this movie. It's more like when you look at it online, they're like, oh, it's more of a thriller kind of thing than a horror. Um, but it's brilliant. And I was going to do it until I copped to the second movie that I'm going to talk about. And I was like, oh, I'll do that one. So the first one I did, I'm not going to go into it too much because it's a relatively new movie. It's 2020. It was part of the um, Welcome to Bloom House thing that they did with Prime. Mm -hmm. and um it is called nocturne so it is based in like this really prestigious um music school kind of juilliard-esque you know um and it follows the story of these somewhere i read that their sisters somewhere they were like twin sisters so just in case these sisters one is played by sydney sweeney who i'm obsessed with from watching euphoria and um, there was another thing she was in, White Lotus, um, Suzanne, obsessed with that as well. She's just brilliant. She's really good. And, she's a good up and coming actress then. Oh, she's unbelievable. And Madison uh, Eisman, who was in the, I know what she did last summer, Prime TV show. So it starts off with um, this like really accomplished very stressed out, I imagine. Um, student who is a violinist. She's playing the violin. Um, she is the person who's going to be doing the like final uh, piece at like the showcase, which is the place that you will only you'll get a job if you don't get a job from this. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Going to be in the chorus of something for the rest of your life. 
Um, so she has this really high kind of stressful thing to live up to. She is playing this piece. Now, if you look at a synopsis for the movie, you will know that she dies. So I'm not giving out too much away. This. Um, she's playing the uh, violin. She then goes on to the balcony and she jumps off. Now she's happy with her performance. I'll never top this. You know, so she was like, I've got there. This movie kind of reminded me of The Perfectionist, the one with the two girls. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Without all of the obscenely obscene graphic. I'll never watch that after you. And I'm so glad you told it to me because I think I'd have been so grossed out watching it. So now I. I know I don't have to do it. It's just crazy. It's crazy. And it also reminded me of Black Swan. It had that really kind of sinister, like, people always go, that's such a weird way of putting it. When I watched Black Swan, I either wanted to book a home, a prima ballerina, or I wanted to kill myself. There was nothing in between. I either needed to be the very best at what I was going to do or there was no point. But I get that, like in because it's there's a lot that's come out now. And I know it's not quite the same, but with gymnastics and like the way that they are forced as well with ballet, like they're fed yeah. a specific diet to keep them skinny and small and whatever. And um, like you're meant to do stuff your body's not meant to do and move in ways that your body's not meant to do. And they start that from when they're young and it's pressure, pressure, pressure. Like there were. Yeah, and there was something in like a gymnastics thing. It was like in one of the Olympics and you were allowed two attempts at making some sort of a jump and she finished it and she landed weird on her ankle and you know she did some sort of damage and then her like instructor was like, again. And so she did it again, even though she was injured and she landed it perfectly, but she like fucked up her ankle in such a way. She won the gold for it, but she could never do gymnastics again. She had irreparably damaged her leg. And this is kind of along the lines of this within a horror movie. Yeah. So So it's not too far off the tension, obviously, of real life, which is one of the things that makes these things so scary is that, yes, life like this is happening. Oh, yeah, 100%. So the sisters are Juliet and Vivian. So Vivian is, um, she's the more accomplished of the two. She's way more outgoing. Uh, Juliet is the one who's- Just like me and my brother. (laughs) Yeah. she's played by Sydney Sweeney she's kind of the more meek of the two where she goes in she's incredibly talented possibly more technically talented than the sister but she doesn't have the like pizzazz she Uh doesn't have the thing that's going to make her a star one of the um kind of quotes from the movie is where she's talking to the teacher and he's like look your sister Vivian plays like the devil is at the door And she was like, oh, well, what about the other girl who passed away? And he was like, well, she played like the devil was in the room. And that's the difference between you. He was like, you definitely have the technical side down. You probably have more drive, but it's, it's that kind of like je ne sais quoi. So you can tell that Juliet has had a bit of a rough time. Her parents are a lot more kind of worried about her going back she's a lot more um quiet she's part of the group that Vivian's part of but she's very much there because she's Vivian's sister oh yeah she has the boyfriend has the more friends and stuff like that so the thing is that everyone's terribly sad that this girl had died um but it's very much like they've lost this immense talent 
and they've lost this person from the school. But um, so the show must go on. So we now need to find somebody else. <laughs> Mm -hmm. So it's quite quick to kind of go, you were great, but um, yeah, life goes on. Thanks very much. Thanks for playing. See you later. Yeah. Next. Yeah. If you can't serve us anymore, you're not serving us. So we're just going to keep going. So they want to go on. And obviously Vivian is kind of like, I'm totally going to get this. This is going to be me. This is my year. This is my year. This is how I'm going to get it. And uh, Juliet really wants it as well. But like, they're kind of like, oh, Juliet, pet, come on. (laughs) And um, Vivian does get it, but something happens and she can't perform. So Juliet is the person who goes on to get it. Um, She finds the notebook of the girl who passed away. um, And she kind of starts to get into this like do you know very much like this is going to be my you know I'm go- I'm actually going to do this like but she gets really like fanatic about it and she's really into it and it's exactly the kind of same way that it happened in uh, Black Swan where it's mm-hmm. kind of like it's really losing to her detriment her yeah yeah and that's it yeah she's losing her mind while trying to do this um, she fully believes that the journal is telling her stuff, that she's seeing stuff. Um, the teacher, she's like, you're all failures. You know, if you can't do, you teach, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, I'm not going to be one of you. She obviously has a massive falling out with the sister because the f- sister feels very hard done by because, you know, her sister is the one who has replaced her. And she's kind of like, but you kind of did it to the other girl. And she's like, yeah, yeah my sister. It's play or be played. In fairness, are actually kind of like, you know, we are very proud of both of you. And, you know, we we can't not celebrate one because it was taken from the other. So, and it, it's done in a very good way. It's not like... Mm-hmm. They're not pitting the two sisters against each other. They really don't. They understand that they're very different people and they're very different temperaments. Um, so the movie kind of moves along like that. There are alternative endings to this movie also. But they show them kind of simultaneously, side by side. So you kind of have to be like, ooh, what's this about? Now, I watched a um, Nocturne Endings Explained. Mm -hmm. I won't be telling you what happens. (laughs) Um, Because it's obviously quite new. Um. You can probably surmise what I'm, you know, what the ending is from the movies I have referenced. Um, Ah, okay. But it's a very interesting kind of way of doing it. Now, there is reference to other things in this movie that actually are like real, right? So Nocturne is a piece of music that is composed at night or something like that. Oh, okay. Or about the night or something. Somebody's mm-hmm. like, that's absolute horseshit. She doesn't know what she's talking about. And you'd be right. I read it. I think I know what I said. And there you go. Go with it. Yeah. Yeah. But the piece that uh, the girl is playing on the violin um, is actually a, <laughs> of course, it's a real piece. Like, you know, she's playing a piece of music. But this is a piece that it like was composed outside of this movie. 
Oh, it's like a proper known yeah. piece of music. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So the piece that they I am um, that kind of is part of this movie is composed by a guy called Giuseppe Tartine. Mm-hmm. And Giuseppe Tartin is said not only to have sold his soul to the devil, but oh. also to have composed a song with him. Um, tr- it's like that blues musician who went down a crossroads and sold his soul to the devil because basically he was a shit guitarist and came back and he was able to play yes. blues like no one ever could. Yes. So he went missing for a while, came back. He was good harmonicist. Then he went missing, came back was great at guitar and they were like the devil was involved here yeah yeah so Giuseppe is no is quite similar but he also composed with the devil so Trillo del Collab. wow I know Trillo del Diablo the devil's trill came to Tartine in a dream the music came to him he said after a dream himself his dream self had also sold his soul he failed to check the small print on the deal, however, oh. because the music he wrote down when he awoke was not as complex as the devil's tune. So kind of similar, you know, play the best song in the oh, world. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Your soul. And then they couldn't remember the song that they'd actually. <laughs> so perhaps just as well, however, as the devil's trill is said to be one of the most technically demanding pieces of violin ever written. Although he was a very accomplished musician, he soon discovered that he was not even good enough to play his own tune. Um, And so he traded his soul for a tune that he could not play. And these tricksy, they're tricksy, these devils. Um, This is on, I can't even say this word, the name of the, it's listavere.com, L-I-S. T oh sorry no it's listverse.com so that's where you'll find this uh 13 spent the rest of his life trying to properly master his own tune which uh, must have been very annoying he was however a first class musician as well as a notorious womanizer a brawler and an expert swordsman sounds about right yeah there you go so yeah this guy had a dream he um wrote this song with the devil and then his punishment was that he actually couldn't even play it properly and I once had a dream that I wrote a song and it turned out actually I had just heard Musa's song on the radio and thought I wrote it myself that is, but it's a, it's a hilarious idea because you just heard it whilst you were sleeping and I was like oh my god I have written one of the best songs and then my friend was like, that's not true. That's music, music song. You absolute idiot. And I was like, fair play. Thanks. Also, somebody else who has been said to have sold his soul to the devil for music and musical accolades is Jimmy Page from the, from the Led Zeppelin or, you know, yeah, Led Zeppelin. Led Zeppelin. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was about to say the guitarist from Led Zeppelin. Oh, uh, yeah. Words. <laughs> there you go. Not oh, absolutely brilliant movie, fully based in this like um music school, very kind of it, like not a slasher, not it's it's more psychological. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, really, really good. You'll find it on Prime, Welcome to Blumhouse, and all that, and Sydney Sweeney. So you really can't go wrong. 
Yeah, because some of those you were talking about it, and I remember like some of the welcome to Blumhouse ones, they did they seemed a bit cliched. But um this one sounds really promising. Do you know actually any of the ones I've watched I really enjoyed? Yeah, I think the one thing that stands out for me is the one you were telling me about with the girl wants to run away with her boyfriend. So she yeah. gets her friend to, yeah. And I'm just like, that to me was just so out there. I was like, no, no. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. But that one there, it sounds, because I remember like, I think I was also in my phase where I was like being down on Blumhouse. And then after like watching Black Phone, I'm like, I have been too harsh. Yeah. Because it's one thing I do like about Blumhouse is that they're not trying to be anything. They he if he feels like he believes in a film, he will produce it. He'll exactly. It, yeah, he'll make it happen. And he, I think, there's another thing I like about Blumhouse now. If I if I look back on it without being so scathing or critical, is that he or like as a production company, they do like <clears throat> to me. I'd say that they hit so many target audiences within her. Like you'd have your highbrow, you'd have your one where it's like teen horror, then you'd have like slashers and like this plenty of psychological films, even some supernatural elements. Yeah. Um, whereas I find um, like A24, I would rarely see them doing like a proper balls out uh, slasher film. Like that's got like a load of teenage people who are being picked off one by one, you know, that kind of thing. You'd never see them doing that. And I'll never forgive them for making the film or producing the film Men, which was, again, so up its own arse that it came out the other side. Um, And I'm so confused from it and I'll never be over it. (laughs) Myself and Chris, I kept telling Chris, I think I was like, it has to get better. It started out so great. It started out amazing. And it just really lost the run of itself. And I mean, more than I'd ever see any film lose the run of itself. <sighs> that film was the Usain Bolt of losing the run of itself. It did it so fast yeah. and it did it spectacularly. It's like it actually should win an award for it. It should, it should, but you'd have to make a whole new award for it. And like Putin, it oh, would have no one to run up against. Huh? Oh yeah, 100%. Yeah, yeah. So what was your next movie? So um, this is a film I've been kind of thinking about watching. I've, I've heard of it on and off, but like it was also popping up on this of like films that never did so good. And I can see now why it was set up to fail, albeit not on purpose. 1998's Disturbing Behaviour, which has like James. Yeah, James Marsden, Katie Holmes, yeah. um, Nick Stahl. Like it's got a lot of people who are... Well, okay, the guy who plays the janitor is he's already like been in things beforehand, but like with the young actors, even actually um James's character, Steve, his younger sister is Yorn from Ginger Snaps. Um and that American Mary film, like there's a few that she's been in. Um, so and you're just like, oh, this is kind of like where everyone gets their start. This film really confused me with how it ended. And I feel like as if maybe at least you've seen it, it ended abruptly I thought so this sent me down a spiral of going there had to have been some so I like looked into like the making of the film and that's when I found out that say this film was meant to be just a little over two hours long the director also wrote it and I think his name was something Nutter Michael Nutter I think it was Um, and it like they fleshed out all the characters they gave background stories to why the parents kind of did what they did and the first screen audience really liked it but say like less than 10% didn't like it 
And then they went, oh, why the 10% didn't like it and made the changes to that film, judging by what a minority of people didn't like about it. And they changed it so much that they lost a good half hour out of it. And some things just don't make sense. Yeah. And then, then I should probably say this at the end, but it doesn't matter what I say at the start again. It doesn't make any difference. When the director tried to release his scenes that were deleted, because he had them, they basically put like a court order. Um, I think this is, is MGM who had it. And they put like a court order. So he would never, ever, ever be able to release the full director's cut. No way. They even like, they bought the rights to it, but they like another company did so that they could release it. But then, then I think that's when they put up the court order. And because it went, it was done by a judge, they couldn't go against it, even though it was with a different company. I think they like owned the other scenes and the best they could get was when it was released on like a dvd special there was 11 deleted scenes that they threw onto it it's still not everything that should have been in it but it does give a bit more of the story and make things make a lot more sense because i was confused at its ending not like thoroughly confused but a bit like oh holy shit is that it and it really feels like as if someone was like "Eh, and that's the ending like (laughs) as in they like tied it up and didn't care that like there were so many loose ends. They're like, one of these ends is tied and that's enough for me. Bye-bye. So yeah, uh, I will go into it and then I'll go into why I got confused. Um, and then you can tell me if when you watched it, how did you feel? I can't remember it. I just know that I liked it. <laughs> ah, 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 yes. So we started out with a guy called Steve and he's moving over to this like coastal town called Cradlebay. It's To me, it's very Stephen King. Like small town by a bay, everyone knows everyone. Everyone loves where they live, but they also seem a bit culty. Um, and I said culty, not cunty, just in case people are his. This comes out wrong, but I'm also maybe a bit cunty, and um, because they really love where they live. And uh, because the weirdest thing is, it's like you can tell that there's some tension in the family as to why they're coming over. And it turns out that Steve was really close with his older brother Alan. Alan, you don't find out until halfway through the film, Alan committed suicide. And in one of the things that was cut out, they gave a lot of backstories to Alan. Alan had a girlfriend. Alan did a murder-suicide, killed his girlfriend, killed himself. And this is basically a year after Alan's murder-suicide that they move their house and they go move. But like Steve is not even allowed to mention his brother's name around his parents. And at first, like, because you don't know anything about it, because we if like it turns out we know he committed suicide like later on but it kind of looks like as if the dad won't let him mention it because it was suicide you're like that's awful because it was suicide but it was murder suicide yeah so you're like okay that could make a little bit more sense as to why the parents don't want it to be mentioned it's not just that the brother killed himself um but anyway uh so steve has like not issues but he's he's closed off to people he's He's coming to a new place. He's in like his final year. His little sister um, is a bit more kind of enthusiastic about starting. She's like, oh, it's a new school. I'm going to get to that. Like she's probably 13 to his 17. Um, So he arrives and he starts in a new school. And then we see like there's this kid. He comes in late. The teacher mocks him for like living in a trailer park or whatever. Or, you know, do they not have clocks in the trailer or whatever? And then always a great start. Oh yeah, yeah. And uh, then basically, um, the trailer park kid gets in a fight with some like nerd kid who's a SWAT, and 
then like at another scene later on we see that that guy he works on his car like he has a mustang or something like that and then he gets he's like goes to some dock area i am skipping ahead for a bit but i'm just going to tie up this one he goes to go he's like i'm here about the parts and so there's all these clicks it's a bit like mean girls they have their blue ribbon gang who are like all the jocks but apparently their jocks are also studying and doing really well and they're like if you want to be good in the school because like the principal and then a psychiatrist who they've got helping out and you can already think oh that psychiatrist is a dick he's he's actually gerald from gerald's game if anyone watched that and he's been in so many other films and um, he's Bruce Greenwood so he's basically Dr Caldicott and he's like if you want to do really well in school like we have a great sports program and it helps people get through their issues you know we're here to work for you but the blue ribbon kids you know the girls are in the cheerleading the guys are all into the sports or whatever and they're like but it'll do really well for you and he's like you're all right I just kind of want to get through this year and I'm fine whatever um but basically I'll just to finish off that the trailer park kid he gets like jumped on by all the kids who are the blue ribbon kids because he bet up one of the guys from their group and then like he disappears for all and I'll come back to that so Steve is after witnessing the fight he's like wow what a great school so he sits down for lunch and then this guy called Gavin and his friend UV who's a regular actor Chad Donella I would have seen him in other things in like the 90s and early 2000s and they like gave him so much makeup to make him look albino that I knew I knew his face but I didn't know from where until I watched the program and I was like oh yeah that's him can't tell you one film he's in but I know I've seen him in things um yeah so basically that guy yes that that's the whole thing oh he's that guy um so there's this whole and it's a brain scene and it's basically Gavin again like in Mean Girls because this was done in 98 breaks up the different types of cliques in the school and he goes by what their interests are what their drug of choice is and what the music that they're into all this sort of stuff he's like forget about blue ribbons you're never going to get in there you know and then he's like and we're just the loser kids and because it's just him and his friends like we're not a part of any clique but whatever and so Basically, between Gavin, like just constantly hanging out with him, he kind of becomes friends with him. And then we see, uh, we come across Rachel, or she's called like Ray, and that's Katie Holmes. And she comes out of the back of the truck that she owns. And then she like does this dance to music we hear. I'm sure that's music that's not playing outside of the van. Yeah. And she does like this dance in the back of the van and you're, or the, the Jeep. And you're like, okay, you're just a girl dancing alone and you're meant to be cool sexy but I'm like but I'd look at her in school going who's that like that crazy bitch is dancing to music in her head that no one else hears mm-hmm. um but anyway she's like it's so different from seeing this side of Katie Holmes from Dawson's Creek and like interestingly they were just starting to do tapes for Dawson's Creek like as in demo tapes for the actors and actresses as to who could get in on it and because it was done in the same studio as the film one of the producers it got mixed up and some of the tapes or the dailies from Dawson's Creek made their way in to be watched when they were meant to watch the film and one guy saw Katie Holmes and then was like I want her to be our Rachel character and so that's how she got in on it I think they'd all applied for it but then when he saw her and she was like such like a sweetheart character in Dawson's Creek I say that I've never actually watched Dawson's Creek um but basically she was they got her to play like the complete opposite of her character in was she Joey? Yes. Yeah. So they got her to play the complete opposite of her character. And Katie Holmes was really into that of just playing like a different type of character. So she's like, 
living on the outskirts, um, that kind of thing. No one, she's like isolated. No one really likes her. She's friends with Gavin, yet they annihilate each other verbally. Um, but they're more like brother sister kind of characters. Um, so and Steve is just fucking smitten with her the first time he sees her. So they've kind of like a little bit of a trio. UV kind of comes in and out, but it's mainly just Gavin, Ray, and Steve. Um, and so Gavin is just like he's explaining the whole group to them. Uh, of all the different cliques and then we see some people like trashing a mustang and we know it's that trailer park kids mustang his prized possession and it's all the blue ribbon kids and you feel like as if i thought that this was a continuation of from the beat up but then we see the trailer park kid all squeaky clean looking part of the blue ribbon club um and he is helping to bust up the mustang himself but what before they bet him up like the whatever week or so beforehand they were like you're going to be one of ours now so to me I was getting starting to get vibes of the faculty of like people's personalities doing a complete change and the faculty came out in the same year because I was going to say did one influence the other but they both came out the same year so I just think it's one of those ones where their things were kind of similar only in the sense of it happens in a school and it's about people completely doing a 180 on their character types um which I just thought was interesting that something like that comes out in the same year. But this film did not do well yeah. uh, in comparison. Like I think some um, theaters pulled it out from filming or from release just a week into it being released. Um, but anyway, so we're starting to see kids are being changed. Then uh, Gavin, uh, he takes Steve down to like the boiler room where he can have a smoke. And this is where they come across the janitor and um the janitor is very much so a characteristic of he's slow. He's, his voice is a little different. Your man who played him said he just kind of said he wanted to sound like Popeye where he's got like from smoking, his voice is oh, real deep and hoarse. And that was the way he was speaking like. And he keeps talking about wanting to get rid of all the rats. And then he also has this machine. It's kind of like, you know, one of those noise things that only a rat could hear and it keeps them away. And he's like, oh, but it doesn't work. So we're introduced to the, to the, um, janitor there but then later on Gavin brings Steve into the school so they can watch a PTA and then it's these parents or they they say that they've got a new kid who is a C grade student but they can bring him up to an A grade he just needs you know like he listens to heavy metal music and he smokes pot and they're like oh, who's this loser and they're talking about Gavin Gavin's parents wants him to become a part of the blue ribbon group and to excel in school and Gavin's like holy fuck they're, you know, because he keeps saying that all these kids are being brainwashed. And of course, Steve's only in the school like a week. So he's like, what the fuck are you talking about? And he's like, no, no, no. They're, and he pulls out a gun and he goes, I'm going to kill them all. They can't take me and make me like this. And Steve's like, you're fucking losing the plot. I'm going to take this gun off you and uh, you're going to go home and everything's going to be fine. Yeah. And then we see Gavin then the next day or whatever. And he's like, "Blue, oh, he's... um." like yeah complete nerdy looking thing he's got like the pullover and his hair is done neatly and he's like good morning ladies and gentlemen and Steve and Ray are like the fuck is wrong with you is this a joke and basically Steve then gets his ass kicked by everyone in the blue ribbons and even Gavin then throws in some kicks he's like about to help him up and then he punches him and all that and he's like I feel the best I've ever felt my whole life and I'm gonna achieve well and do whatever and I kept thinking I'm like did he pretend you know is he really in on this um 
And so then Steve and Ray decide to do a little digging on this, uh, the doctor who's doing this, the um, psychiatrist. But also you've got like one guy from the Blue Ribbons Club. He's kind of like real beefcake, not beefcake, but I mean like he's a beefy, like kind of stocky lad and he's got the hots for Ray. But basically he's definitely trying to force himself upon her. And he was like, oh, I don't know whether Ray has this like, a slur against her that she's easy and you don't get the vibe from her with anything like that but you know like some of the girls who are on the outside of groups they're always end up being called like slags or sluts or stuff so I feel like if this has happened to Ray so one of the guys imagines that oh if she puts out to anyone why can't she put out with me and put out with me goddammit but so one of the things is that all these people are part of the blue ribbon group whenever they get turned on or horny or they get you know that sort of a wave of um be not endorphin form I'm trying to say but anyway when they get when they get horny that you can see a red dot appears in their eye and they go like their brain like frits out on them and they go nuts and um so the long and the short of it is Ray and Steve go they discovered that this Dr. Caldecott used to work in a just off the that bay there's an island where he was working on and he has a daughter who is on this like it's all just people it's it really not so well asylum because they got into it pretty easily. They even found where there's Dr. Caldecott has a daughter there and she keeps talking really loudly, the daughter does, and it's attracting the attention of people to come towards the room she's in, which is attracting the attention of the night watchman. So Ray punches her in the face to silence her. They could have gagged her. They didn't okay. have to talk her, right? Yeah. And then they're like, okay. Even Steve looks at her like, okay, fair enough they escape and then they're like holy shit he's obviously trying to experiment on people and then it's they had to get the ferry to get off totally get the whole like faculty thing that you're talking about like it's very yeah yeah and then they're about to catch the last ferry to bring them back to the bay where they live and then just as they're getting gas they see oh jesus christ yes so sorry how the film opens as well as so there's this there's this local sheriff um and so basically one of the scenes at the very start is this girl's making out with a guy and the guy's part of the blue ribbon club and he they're about to like you think that they're about to have sex they're making out and then he's like oh no i need to save my swimmers it's game day tomorrow Mm -hmm. and she's like the fuck then he sees she's got a tattoo and he's like why would you do that she's like why would you mark your body like that like he's such an asshole and then she just like oh I'll mark you or I'll show you and then decides to go down on him and then after a while he breaks her neck and calls her a slut like he gets this the the doc comes in his eye and he like changes yeah and so then these cops come over because and Gavin's watching this he's bringing his dog out for a walk and he's like oh great one dog you found um like he's obviously spying on them so you're like ew but he sees that something's happened that the cops pull him out and whilst he's still in this whole rage thing, he takes the gun off one cop, shoots him. But the, you think the sheriff's going to arrest him? But he was like, don't worry about this. I'll clean up. You just get yourself out of here. So the kid drops the girl. Um, oh, yeah, because one of the cops who gets shot sees that your one has a broken neck. Um, and that's how he ends up getting killed. But the sheriff is like, I'll clean this up. You just get yourself home. So I was thinking, going, oh, you know, it's one of those at the start of thinking, is it, oh, is it one of those ones because they're doing the sports that they get away with it because the town needs it because it gets them government funding. 
But the cop is just completely in on it because he tries to arrest Katie and Steve for no reason. After they escape from breaking into the asylum, like no one knows they were there. And then he like takes Katie out of the car and he tries to arrest her. So Steve tries to like beat him up or like try and get Katie back. But both of them are just about to get put into the back of the cop car and be taken away. That, um, oh no, they are taken and they're put into the asylum. Oh, no, 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 sorry. They get to escape. Yes, this is it. I'm getting confused. They get to escape because the janitor comes up because in a previous scene, um, Steve, when he's, after he's been isolated by everybody, he's having lunch down in the boiler room. He sees the janitor. The janitor's got some book called, oh shit, I can't remember what it is, but it basically shows, Steve's like, this is a facade. You're like, you're not stupid. I'm like, oh God. Oh, the late 90s, what you could say and get away with. Yeah. And the janitor eventually like breaks and he's like, it's amazing what you can see when no one thinks you're there. Like if I just am this bumbling idiot, no one's going to pay attention to me and I'm going to notice more stuff that's going on. Um, and uh, so they eventually get back onto the bay and Steve is, he's telling Ray, he's like, I'm going to go get my sister. We're all going to leave here. He's only talking about the teenagers not the parents, and because they realize that there's something happening. Um, oh no, I think that's before, somehow, I'm skipping things, somehow they get brought, like they, I think they, they get caught, Ray and Steve, and they get put into basically like the new doctors, the doctor's new lab. They're like, we saw your daughter, and he's like, oh, she was a failed experiment, but I've now perfected it. So it's like this chip that they insert into your eyeball, like a lobotomy. Because it's the same way, instead of like knocking stuff around, this is what I felt. Like with a lobotomy, they're making you become a proper nor normal person, according to them, but screwing your freaking brain up, your uh, frontal cortex. But with this is they're putting a chip into your eye and it's to make you normal and be a great student. But the thing is that you're, because teenagers, when they get horny, the hormones fries the chip and he's like if I could just if they could stop being so turned on then they wouldn't have these issues and um, so they managed to escape without getting the chip put into them and I think that's when Steve says to Ray like you go home you grab your stuff I'm gonna go get my sister I'll meet back and we're gonna leave here but when he gets back into his house Dr. Caldecott has managed to get back there and then uh, I see where I'm mixing myself up, but he gets back there. Basically, his parents are like, we called him. We just want you to be a good kid. But what we don't know is that the gun he took off Gavin, his mom finds in his house in a deleted scene. And so obviously the parents are really fucking worried. They know that their own son killed his girlfriend and then killed himself with a gun. So they see that the, their other son has a gun. So, of course, they're truly worried about their son. And that's why they, they think this blue ribbon thing might help, you know, thinking it's a program where you have through education, you can like help yourself and maybe that they're because there's a psychiatrist there. They probably see it as this is a great thing for our son. However, because they cut that scene out, it looks like the parents just fucking like ratted him out because he turns around to the parents like, oh, this is what I get. You're just going to throw me to these guys now. They're like, we, we do because we love you. We want to help you. But the parents look like dicks. But we don't see that because the scene got deleted. Um, so yeah, I think that's where they get him. They also have Rachel and that's when they put the chips in, but then they manage to escape. So basically Steve goes home, he gets his sister and they all go into Rachel's truck and they're about to go drive back to get the ferry. And, um, but like all the blue ribbon kids like form this roadblock, but they manage to like get through or whatever. So there's a chase going on 
or there's about to be a chase between the blue ribbon kids but then the janitor comes and he's got all the um he's got all the rat things because we see earlier on in one scene accidentally the rat chaser waiting the this the, the little beeping noise or whatever it messes with the chip in the blue ribbon people's heads and so it kind of makes them go nuts and whatever they have to like get at the the machines to make it stop because it's driving them insane so he, when he realizes that this is the thing that affects them the only thing that affects them he um goes to the rescue of because there's even the, the sheriff is there at the roadblock and so uh he's like i'm gonna rescue you guys so the janitor comes up he's got like about 10 of these machines it's driving everyone insane but the sheriff tries to shoot the car with the janitor in it um, and he's going to lead, he comes off to like, there's this dam basically kind of like, or there's like a waterfall. And um, so he's driving ahead. He is like the Pied Piper. He's got all the blue ribbon kids like clutching their heads, going insane, running after the car. And yeah. uh, he tells Steve, he's like, I'm going to just kill everyone here. I don't have a chance. We see he's been shot. So he's like, I'm going to die. I'm going to take all these kids with me. There's no saving them. They don't know if they can get the chip out. They haven't even looked into it. Um, they're just going to kill everyone. So basically, he drives over the um, cliff, but not before saying, uh, hey, teacher, leave those kids alone from Pink Floyd's Another Brick and Wall. But apparently there was going to be a whole big scene where that song was playing. Again, it got cut out. So now it just looks like as if he's quoting a lyric, whereas there had been a scene where the song was used. So it would have, it would have been a great timing. But no, just looks like as if he's saying a music lyric is his last words before he dies so all the kids fall over with him and then Dr. Caldecott is there and he's like you won't stop me I'll go to a new town and I'll do this again there's always kids who are delinquents who need to be put right and I perfected this now and I, do, I can get rid of the hormone imbalancing and everyone's going to be A grade students and then they have a fight and Steve just basically kicks him over the waterfall thing the, into the water he's gone and then uh, Steve had sent Rachel ahead with the sister in her truck to go and get, yeah, to go onto the ferry to get out. And then he hops on the motorbike. There was a motorbike that was there. He hops onto it and he jumps onto the ferry after it's gone. Like it's just taking off away. And he gets onto it just in time, gets up to Rachel. And um, oh, yeah, UV, I think is, no, UV is with them as well. And he gets on to see Rachel, UV and his sister. He's like, we've escaped, we've made it. And I'm like, made it? Fucker, your parents are still back in the bay. Um, alive and well. And he's like, it's just us now. And you're like, what do you mean? There are also non-blue ribbon people in the fucking school. And I tell you, that is where the film ends. And when it ended like that, I was like, it's not like everyone's dead. People are still, I know obviously there's a trust issue of how far did that go in the school, in the community? Yeah. Um, so like I had questions and I immediately started looking up some videos because I was like, what is going on here? Um, and basically, uh, oh, is the director's name was David Nutter. Um, and so I'm just going to read this thing of the trivia here because it's basically putting up what I was saying. Um, so the director had completed editing his director's coat, which was 115 minutes long. Um, after even the student, the president of MGM, he loved it. The first screening was held on the 15th of May in 98. Um, it was shown to over 300 people aged 15 to 24. And the majority of people really responded well to it. 
but um, the president of MGM and some others within that company were worried. Some of the complaints um, were about some part of the films, like apparently there was a sex scene between Steve and Rachel. Yeah, because they kiss at the very end. So, but they had built up their relationship in some of the scenes that they're a proper couple now, because it just seems like as if they kiss at the end. You're like, where'd that come from? <laughs> um, but yeah, so the sex scene gets cut out, which obviously cuts out any buildup in their relationship as well as that. And they also ordered the director to cut it down from 115 to 95. So there was like three or four cuts. And every time they showed it to new audiences, it was just getting like worse and worse reaction. And then they allowed him to put back some scenes and it got back to being, went from like 70 odd minutes, like it was about 110 minutes back up to, I think it's like an hour and 23 minutes all in. It's really not that long. I know I suppose an hour and a half would be it, but like you never know what you could have put in seven minutes to make a little bit more sense. But I think after like it's third or fourth cut, the audience mostly liked it and they're like, this is enough for us. We're going to release it. And it just fucking bombed. Like that, it was closed in some theaters after only a week. Um, oh yeah, there's this little ending in the actual film. Uh, I think just before they do the credits where it's like this inner city school. And then they're like, oh, we have a junior student teacher, you know, give him respect and all that. And it's Gavin. And so he's the last of the <clears throat> Blue Ribbon Club. He wasn't there when they all fell over the ledge like lemmings. And um, so I think they were going to do a thing where like he was listening to headphones when that happened. So he missed the whole thing or he just wasn't there for it. Then they were doing an alternate ending where he followed Steve onto the ferry and then was going to kill him because he was like, I've never felt so great. And then they shoot him. And as he's dying, he reverts back to regular gown and then he dies. Like that was going to be a bit of a colder ending. But people didn't respond to that one so well. Um, but yeah, but they were it's like if they were leaving it out to a sequel where Gavin, who has the chip in his eye, but obviously has no idea how it got made. And all this sort of stuff, like as if, oh, there's going to be more of them. But no, a sequel never happened. Um, so yeah, there was like five test screenings before they released it out. Nutter went out to say, I just love saying his name. <laughs> but he was out and he was like, this isn't my film anymore. He tried to have his name removed as the writer and director. He was like, this isn't me. This isn't my film. But of course he was refused and he couldn't do it out. Oh, and like that, they allowed with the DVD release, which obviously was going to be years later, if this was 98, at least five or six years later, when did it come out in DVD? It does not say. But anyway, when it came out on DVD, they allowed back in eventually the 11 uh, things, which kind of helped it up. But I feel like if it's not even a cult classic, it, it didn't make it that far. And I just think because it got changed so much and there's like none of these characters are fleshed out. Yeah. And when I read what all was in it, which would have made more sense, I'm like, why would they cut it? Why would it's like any person who had any backstory? They even gave a backstory to the janitor as to how he realized that this was happening with the Blue Ribbon Club. Like he had a background story for noticing the changes and why he was so against it and why he turned himself into like a quote unquote dunce to fade into the background so no one would want anything to do with him. So, like, there was just so much potential. Yeah. Because when I, when I heard what the film could have been, I was like, I'd have really enjoyed that. Because I really like the faculty. So I feel like as if that would have been a great film. But now there's just, no, there's that film there, which you have a load of people. No one's given any fleshed out storyline 
Um, and it just seems almost cliched now with the way that it's done. It's like, it's now like the teenagers versus the parents versus the system. Whereas there was a reason for why everything became what it was. Apparently, I don't know if you get too much. Oh yeah, and you even find out why Dr. Caldecott did it and how he failed with his daughter. Because you just see this daughter and you're like, oh, it's his daughter. And I'm like, well, how are we meant to know that? But apparently there was further into that story as to what he was working with in the first place. And he was experimenting on his own daughter and all this sort of stuff. Like there was, there was so much more that could have been done with this film. But I just feel it is a goddamn shame when you have studio interference. Yes. And so this was just one of the films where I saw a studio interfere. Now, obviously, there's there could be so much more films that we watched where there was a, a heavy influence of the studios. But this was just one where I saw, I was like, oh, this was massive. They changed that film completely. So, yeah, I found it to be interesting what it could have been and what was done to it. And the fact that they would not let, like to this day, there are still extra scenes that could be put into it that's even, that aren't in those 11 deleted scenes that could have just made it into a better film. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, I just... It's and it's only it's not even just an okay film. It's just again confusing because you're like, well, why did this happen? What's happening here? Oh, it's over. Okay, never mind. Yeah, it's like, oh right, okay, cool, cool. Yeah, before you get your head around it, the film's finished. So <laughs> yeah. it just yeah. So if that's the case, because you don't get the fleshed out version, either get either try and watch the DVD version with the eleven deleted scenes, but then you have to go and watch them after the fact. So just watch the faculty. Yeah. Actually, same year, kind of the same idea, but with a different background to it. Like there, it's just such a shame. It is such a shame. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, and I do hope that God knows when. And at this stage, I say nobody cares, but it would be very good for that director if he could have gotten what he wanted and do his own re-release of like I don't know a twenty or thirty year anniversary for that. At this age, yeah, it'd be thirty. So twenty twenty eight, do the full movie. <laughs> Yeah. Not that far away. And it's enough time to go through court because this is how I see that going. I think that's a great idea. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. So anyway, after that confusion, uh, what was your other film? So my second one was um, Urban Legends Final Cut. It's the sequel to Urban Legends. Um, it- I don't think I've seen it. I think I just left it at Urban Legends. Okay. It is 2000. Mm-hmm. Um, it's quite good. Like it's it's exactly what you'd imagine a you know a follow on to Urban Legends. Because the actual Urban Legend film makes it look like as if there is going to be like a sequel with the way that it ends. Yep, there's actually three of them. Ah, in the movie, uh, in the in the franchise. Um, so this follows on with two characters returning. The third one is totally different um it's more about witches and stuff like that so this one is in a different college uh Loretta Devine again comes back and reprises her role as the sassy um school campus like security guard Mm -hmm. and um there is Amy who is trying to finalize her thesis and figure out what she wants to do for her end of year project and she decides that she's going to go on and uh, do a film based on urban legends because that's not been done before. <laughs> um, she does 
a couple of so she she's filming the movies with her friends and um one of her best friends one of her best friends who's in the movie uh sandra she's played by jessica caulfield who is in final destination the first one she's also in legally blonde um actually one of the other guys is in legally blonde as well and uh vampire diaries which I saw him in the distance at Comic Con last week. Oh. It, um, it's a really good cast. It's quite a two thousands cast. I was watching the special features on the DVD, and um, one thing that I found was really interesting. Um, Jessica Caulfield. Um, this is nothing to do with the movie, but um, her dad is a true crime author. Oh, there you go. So, um, I just was like, that is very interesting. So basically, they kind of tried to go the whole meta thing with this, where it is, they're in a film college, they're filming uh, stuff about urban legends, then they don't know, is it real? Is it not real? There's one urban legend that on this particular night, everybody screams at 12 o'clock, but somebody actually is screaming for real and is mm-hmm. dead, you know, that kind of way. They go into the whole, like, you go out on a date, then you wake up in a bath and all your organs are gone. Um, it's, it, they try, so the director for this is actually the composer from uh, The Usual Suspects. <laughs> no way. Yeah. So he wanted to direct his first feature film. He went up against um, another guy who was part of the original Urban Legends. He wanted to direct this film, but they took on the uh, composer. So he was, the other guy is still there in a capacity of kind of like being there to help out and stuff like that. But your man who, from The Usual Suspects, he had said that he kind of wanted this to be more of a psychological thing, more of a kind of Anthony Hitch, Anthony Hitchcock. (laughs) a Hitchcock kind of thing um, where he was able to kind of was going to be a bit moodier obviously music plays a big part of this movie um, mm-hmm. be it uh, the fact that the uh, director is actually a composer so you can kind of see that that really comes through and you can see what he was trying to do with the kind of reference back to Alfred Hitchcock Hitchcock and he was kind of like they were all kind of saying like he was like oh I really wanted to be this like kind of moody thriller kind of thing and they were like look we get that but that's just not who this movie is for like it was kind of like you've seen the first one mm-hmm. this isn't like we're not going we, like, there's no point in reinventing the wheel here like Urban Legends was made on this kind of like not like shoestring budget but a smaller budget and it brought in like a lot of money through the box office so they were really trying to kind of redo that this obviously was a little bit different it probably didn't have the same names that the first one did um but Rebecca Gayhart comes back she's in the kind of last scene of it and you're like uh, which is quite cool um but yeah, it, it it follows the whole thing of the urban legends. Funny enough, I read on IMDb that um, the majority of people who die in this film do not die directly because of an urban legend. So, <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of funny. And like, 
you know, your one who's the friend, she plays her usual kind of like dumb blonde like character in it. Mm-hmm. They're kind of like at one stage, your man is like, okay, we're going to redo that. And instead this time actually do it correctly. Um, So the, like one of the directors is just a real dick and it has that real kind of early, like late 90s, early 2000s slasher movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The cliches of the time. Exactly. It is exactly that. And it's a lot of fun. It's everything that it says on the tin. They said that they, they actually uh, tested the film and it was, they didn't have, the opening scare that the first one had so they didn't have um the actress who is it the girl who was like there's someone in the back seat yeah and like it needs a kind of good opening scare that's it and they were kind of like we tried to be too smart with it you know this is what it's supposed to be like it was kind of like they almost did what you kind of hope sometimes a sequel will do, that they won't just take absolutely everything that worked in the first one and do it to death. They kind of went, we'll make a really cool, smart version of it, but it just didn't work because of what it was supposed to be. It's supposed to be Scream. It's supposed to be Urban Legends. It's supposed to be, I know what you did last summer. Yeah. Do you know, and I say that them being my top favorite movies, do you know, So it was kind of this thing where obviously this guy was coming in and trying to make it something very different. It tested, it didn't test well. So then they were like, okay, we need like the, um, one of the writers or consultants on it. And she was from the first movie. She had said to the, um, the company, she was like, look, if you give me money for this scene, we will get it. Yeah. I need the money. I need the money to make the goriest, most disgusting scene and like the biggest like urban legend that we use in it so they oh they did the scene with the kidneys um and yeah it's it's exactly what it needs to be it's a lot of fun it's based in the college again and you know you don't know are you actually watching a snuff film or are you (laughs) Were they just really good actors and somebody's just gone on holidays? Yeah. Wow. So again, definitely give it a watch. It's like, I know I've given nothing away there, but like, I know it sounds really stupid. There's not much to give away. It kind of is exactly what it is. It's a movie based in a film college and they're doing urban legends and people start to die. Wow. There again. (laughs) There you go. To be the sassy queen that she is. Okay, yeah, yeah. Such a stare off right now. (laughs) At one stage during recording, he walked in and bit her neck and I was Mm. like, get away. And now they're just kind of looking at each other and she's like, just go and leave me alone. And he's like, I'm not going anywhere make me bitch yeah well there we go um so that we may have proven that going back to school isn't as scary as if you're in those schools or colleges 
Yeah. So although we may have the fear, whether or not be you are going back to school or you are going back to work, Mm -hmm. it can always be worse. 100%. (laughs) And then know that if you're the type of person who gets the fear of going back to school, it'll never leave. (laughs) But it will get better because you're in the get paid for it. (laughs) What did you say there? Sorry, I was talking over you. I said it will get better because there is an ending to school. There is, yes. And if you're in a job you hate, you can quit it and get another job. Yeah. Don't be stuck in one place. Like, no. my God, make changes because no one else is going to look after you, bar you, like 100%. Someone else can help out, but like you need to make the changes you want for a better life. You need to be happy. Oh, yeah, because... um. I'm not Hindu, so I don't believe in reincarnation. So I need to make this one the best one I've got. Yeah, yeah. And I also just believe it's not worth it. So no, no, because there's no point in any of your life being miserable when there's the potential that something could be done to make it better. Yeah. Next week, we will be starting into spooky season, which is mind blowing. Um, so again, as every year, we are going to look at um, a kind of horror classic franchise. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, we can't wait. We we're doing a special one this year. We're kind of, it has a theme. Yeah. And, and then, we'll explain more next week. Yeah. When we start recording. Um, and then for Trick or Treat Thursday this year as well, that will be coming back. And um, yeah, we're really looking forward to both. Yeah. We're being vague on purpose because we want you to be interested. Yeah, not because we're not 100% sure on either of them. <laughs> Fucking prove it because the next time we come on, we'll be recording it. So you we're don't not know. 99% sure. <laughs> yeah, you guys don't know what we're going to do. <laughs> we're playing the wild card, people. This is it, exactly. It's not like us. <laughs> so make sure to follow us on Instagram on Because You're Home with an underscore on between each word. And you can listen to us on most podcast platforms. And if you listen to us on Spotify or Apple, we'd really appreciate if you could rate and review us. It just shows us up a little bit more out there to the big wide world. We'd love it. Thank you so much. And we will talk to you next week, guys. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.